Lord Jesus, thanks for meeting with us today. Thanks for being here through your Holy Spirit who lives in us, who we get to experience 24-7. We thank you. Now as we turn our attention to your word, would would you open it to us? Help us understand it. Help us apply it well. Would you give me the grace to speak it correctly and not say too much and not say too little? I trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're uh, setting aside Daniel uh, for now. Uh, We got through the biographical section, so that's an accomplishment, right? The prophetic section we didn't get to. We had a lot of things going on this summer which is awesome. We've had a great summer. Uh, But at the same time, we didn't accomplish everything that we wanted to in Daniel, which is okay. So um, I wanted to take a Sunday to do a message on racial reconciliation. And I want to start it like this. Um, About 10 years ago, I was uh, filling in for my senior pastor. I was in the pulpit that Sunday. And I got to choose pretty much whatever I wanted to preach. And I decided I was going to do a sermon on something that the church probably almost never talks about from the front. I was going to preach on modesty. Now, I'm just a young guy. I don't know anything. So so how are you going to preach modesty on Sunday? And so I thought I could look at Peter because he talks about modesty. But then it hit me, no, there's a better one on modesty. I mean, that, that, that's really, Peter's really clear. I mean, that, that's awesome, and I've used that one before. But I remembered there's a passage in the Old Testament that deals with an immodest man. I thought, that's interesting, because usually when, when, when talks about modesty are happened, they're, they're phrased in terms of women. And I thought, oh, I could, I could preach on a man. Noah. You know where I'm going with this? You know, Noah builds the ark, and he's saved from the flood. He's a righteous man. And he gets out of the ark, and, and one of the first things he does is, I'm tired of the animals, and he drinks a little too much. He's drunk. And he's uncovered, the Scripture says. And one of his sons, in some ways, is, is mocking him, making fun of him, kind of just, there's dad, you know. The Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how it went down, but it tells us the other two sons knew about their dad and, and, and how he was in this state of undress. And, and they, laid a, they laid like a blanket over their, over their shoulders and they walked backwards so they wouldn't look at their dad and they covered him up and they honored their father. Apparently Noah needed a savior too. You know, he wasn't a perfect man. And I remember preaching that and talking about modesty and honoring those who are immodest. You know, even if they won't dress appropriately, you can do the right thing. You can be like one of Noah's sons. And and after I got done preaching, I had this feeling that, like, oh, I think I said too much. I think I was probably too graphic. I probably was, you know, I was giving some examples of immodesty, and I, I was using specific illustrations, and I thought, oh boy, I'm getting legalistic. I said way too much, and I was kind of carrying that. And then, and then, um, an older woman came up to me, she was a former missionary, and she said, Niall, I wish you would have said more. 
I wish you would have given a dress code for us and for the youth ministry. And, and I thought to myself, isn't that how it works when you deal with a touchy subject where people differ on the opinions? Some people will think you've said too much. Some people will think you've said too little. All you can do is ask the Lord to speak through you and, and just leave it there, right? And that's what i got to do this morning. I want to talk about race. Some of you will think I've said too much. Some of you, I think, will think that I've said too little. I'm asking that the Lord gave me what I needed to for this week. And would you give me the grace of that? Um, Interestingly enough, when I was young, there was a Christian in the church. I don't remember if it was Sunday school. I don't remember the exact context. But we were talking about slavery. And Noah's story was brought up. But I never heard this before. I don't, remember, I don't even remember how old I was. But the person said, I think I was, might have been in high school, uh, but the person said that, you know, after that situation with Noah and his drunkenness, um, he issues a blessing on two of his sons and a curse on the son that was disrespectful to him who looked on his father's nakedness. He issued a curse on that son. Actually, literally, the curse was on the grandson. And I can't explain all that to you today and how that all worked out. But the person that was talking to me, part of that curse was that that grandson, Canaan, would be a slave to his brothers. And that that person in church on that day tried to make that a justification for slavery of certain races. Now, I don't agree with that. In fact, I strongly reject that as false teaching. But, it tells me the church isn't there yet. We're not there yet on this issue. And, but, within the Scripture itself, there's enough to point us in the right direction. Would you look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me? Ephesians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's a a Bible under the chair in front of you. And we're going to jump around in Ephesians 2, but the main place we're camping out is going to be verses 14 through 18. Ephesians 2. So, you know Ephesians 1 talks about how Christ chose us and lavished His grace on us and just all these amazing things that Christ did for us in His great mercy. That's Ephesians 1. It's just, it's beautiful. There's super long Greek sentences that are horrible to, to work on when you're in college. But it, it's like Paul is the run-on king in, in Ephesians chapter 1. It's like you can't get enough out there on the gospel and the mercy and I just got to keep going and going and going and going. It's beautiful. Ephesians 2, he's still on this topic of the gospel, but he's trying to start to get at like, but you were sinners. That's a big part of the gospel. You've sinned. And then he gets to this point in chapter 2, what we're going to look at in verse 14, where he says, um, for he, that's Jesus, is our peace, who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself 
one new humanity, or some translations, one new man, one new person out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which He put to death their hostility. He came and He preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Some churches have said, even recently, that racial reconciliation is a social issue and so the church shouldn't be in on that. You know, leave that to other parties. I would submit to you that racial reconciliation is a gospel issue based on this passage and others like it. It's at the center of things, not this thing on the side. It's right there with us. And here's how I'd argue that. We need to be careful because Paul wasn't thinking about race relations uh, of between whites and blacks and Hispanics and Asians. He wasn't thinking about those race relations when he wrote Ephesians 2. He was thinking about Jews and Gentiles when he wrote this. That there's hostility between them, but Jesus, in verse 14, made peace and destroyed the barrier. So, you know what the barrier is? The law. The, the law not only governed a Jewish person's morality, but it also governed their, the way they saw their race, their ethnicity. Because you didn't just behave in a moral way if you were a Jew. You, you, you ate a certain way. You dressed a certain way. I mean, there are things that can't possibly be sins as far as like moral sins that you read in the Old Testament and you go, you know, they had to wear their beards a certain way. That's, that's just how it is. It, it marked them and their ethnicity. And so the big debate in the first century, as many, many of you know, was does a, Jew, does a Gentile who's coming to Christ have to become like a Jew? Do they have to trim their beards that way? Do they have to eat that way? And both Peter and Paul come down firmly in saying, no, that's not the case. You don't have to bear the marks of Jewish people to become part of the body of Christ. That, that's really clear throughout the New Testament. Now, verse 14 is talking about salvation when it says, He Himself is our peace. When He says peace, He's, he's thinking, I believe, about Isaiah. If you want to keep your finger in Ephesians and look at Isaiah really quick, or you can listen to me read it, Isaiah 52 would be the place to go for this. Isaiah 52, 7. You could write it in your notes or uh, look at it with me. I'm going to go there quickly, though. You know this verse. It comes out of Romans, but it started in Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim, here's our word, shalom, peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So it's a beautiful thing when someone shares the message of the gospel that saves, the message of peace, the message of shalom in the Hebrew language. And then uh, you could look at verse. You could look at uh, chapter fifty-three, verse five. Here's another one. I bet you know this one too. Many of you. Isaiah fifty-three, five. He was crushed for our transgressions. Uh, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now we know who that's talking about. It's talking about Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, as we've just celebrated in communion, and. Isaiah calls it peace. Shalom. Shalom means 
perfection, completion, restoration, everything as it should be, everywhere. That is shalom. That's why I tell my wife in the morning, shalom, because she's perfect. Um, Okay, I I never say that, do I? So what is that telling you? Okay, all right. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, Shalom refers to a state of perfection that will only happen after this life. We'll never achieve full shalom here, but that peace is something we strive for. And so what Paul says in Ephesians is peace. He made peace. So it's not just peace between us and God. That's amazing. That's incredible. But it's peace between races, Jews and Gentiles. So here's where I'm going with this. If the gospel can overcome the racial tensions between Jews and Gentiles, how much more do you think it can overcome the racial tensions of our country? Right? Racial reconciliation, then, is a gospel issue. Remember in Galatians when Peter uh, stopped eating with the Gentiles because he was getting pressured to withdraw from them because he's a Jew and they're Gentiles. We don't eat with them. And Paul confronted him publicly and said, Peter, you are disobeying the gospel if you don't eat with Gentiles. Racial reconciliation, then, is a gospel issue issue we have to care about as a church we have to because the bible says we have to that's number one number two so we start there number two i take you back to uh verses one through three of ephesians two you know these verses they're very they're very common i mean we know these things ephesians two one through three As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature uh, deserving of wrath, or some verses say, some translations, objects or children of wrath. So, number two, when we think about race relations, we have, to, we have to come out quickly with, the gospel says all humans are dead in their sin. All, all of us. Without Christ, we all follow whatever sinful desires Satan is influencing us with. And that's what we see happening to this country. Satan's influence, his division, he loves dividing people. And people are captive to him without Christ. Completely captive. This, this, this uh, <clears throat> verse says dead. You're dead. You can't do anything. Dead, dead things can't seek after Christ. They can't see Christ. They're just laying there doing nothing, lifeless. They're dead. That's what sin does to you spiritually. Okay. That means <clears throat> when I think about police officers when I think about the white church, when I think about black Christians, when I think about all of these things, I have to be quick to say we all get it wrong so often because we sin. I I interviewed a police officer uh, before uh, this message and just talked about uh, race relations in Milwaukee. You better believe there's things going on there. And I think it's a good thing to say that 
yeah, we, we admit that there are some police officers that are corrupt, that are following racist uh, desires. That, that just, that's the way it is because we are sinful. Um, ask me if it's a majority. I can't tell you that it's a majority. I, I, I don't think that it is. But there are some, there are some that would abuse the position of their job. There are some. And uh, I'll, I'll say it like this. Unfortunately, that reality of people in authority abusing their power is across the board. How long has it been since I've heard the story, a personal story about a pastor falling into sin? Someone telling me face-to-face, this pastor fell into sin, moral failure, now he's out. Oh, it was last Thursday I heard a story like that. Last Thursday. And so I know, I know that the reputation of Christ is hurt because of that person. I know the reputation of the church is hurt because of that moral failure. I don't want to be that guy. And I believe police officers would say to you, by and large, they don't want to be that guy. They don't want to disqualify themselves for being in a position to bring good to their community. And we've got to, we got to meet them there in that statement while recognizing that there are some that have disqualified themselves. Let's go with that reality because all have sinned. However, since I'm talking about the police, uh, I'd say my basic default orientation is Romans 13 when I think about police. Submit yourselves to the governing authorities. And police have stepped into a difficult position And so I give them honor. I give them submission. And they bear the sword. And I remember, uh, I remember years ago, a young man that, that loved the Lord and loved the Word of God went into the Marines. I think I've talked about him before. I think so much of this young guy. And he took a stand when he went through the, the boot camp, came out. I had him in youth group. And he shared his story about standing firm in the faith. But he also added a few things about his training. And for high school students, some of them it was kind of eye-opening because you're listening to him and you're like, yeah, we, our country taught you how to kill well. And it's not that I asked him to talk about that. I don't think he went overboard. I don't think he said too much. But he might have been right there on describing his training. I was like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, because some of the high school students were like, oh my goodness, this is, this is my buddy from last year, and he's talking about what he was doing, preparing for violent acts. And they struggled. And so the next week I preached Romans 13, and I said, We need men and women who can stand up in positions of authority and some of them will bear the sword according to Romans 13 and we give them honor because they're stepping in and Romans 13 calls them God's servant. God's servant. So my default is to look at politicians, firemen, police officers, people who protect, people who need to be in a position of authority as God's servants to do us good. That's my default. But I also recognize when the gospel says that humans are dead in sin, that means I'm going to see people in authority that have abused their authority. I'm going to have examples of it. I'm going to see it. 
and it's going to be in the ministry, unfortunately. It's going to be in, police, in, 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 uh, in law enforcement. It's going to be in our government. We're going to see this. This is the condition we live in. Number three. The gospel says that Christ died to make one new man out of two. If you look at verse 14 and 15 again with me, our, our, our main part of the text here, Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility. He made two groups one. And it says His purpose. What did Jesus want out of this thing? Was to create in Himself one new humanity or one new man, one new person out of two. Jews and Gentiles there's no longer the Jewish bloodline and the Gentile bloodline. There's just the bloodline of Christ. Your first allegiance is no longer to your ethnicity. Your first allegiance is to Christ. That's it. So whenever we exalt our race above Jesus, that's an issue. Whenever we exalt nationality above Jesus, that's an issue. Because Jesus wants to make one new person made up of many different nations, and call that the body of Christ. That's what he's doing. That's his purpose. The gospel can somehow... Some, I've said this before, but you that have been to other countries and gone to their churches, you know this feeling of walking into a Christian church in a foreign country, and you may have been completely culture-shocked here and there in the culture, but when you went into that church, you felt at home. Right? And the reason you felt at home was because of Jesus. Because of the gospel. Because these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This family. I'll never forget, you know, the pastor handing me a bottle of water after church in Uganda and just thanking me for staying three hours, you know, as they worshipped and standing with them and celebrating with them. No, I didn't dance, okay? I didn't dance. But, but, you're at home because it's one New person out of two, out of the many. That's what the gospel's doing. So, in my understanding of this, then, the church ought to be the most equipped, the most strong, the mo- have the most ability to do this right. Wouldn't you agree? We should be the best, according to this passage. We should be the best at getting this correct. The problem is we haven't always been correct. We haven't always done it right. And we need to admit that. Um, Where do I go from here? I've listened to uh, African-American pastors over the last week. I've listened to conference messages. I've read blogs. I've been trying to just infuse my thinking with those with a different perspective than my own that I need to respect and I need to hear. And one of the messages I heard was by uh, an African-American man named Jamar Tisby. And he did a message that I listened to called uh, The Ark of Racial Reconciliation. An Ark, A-R-C. And um, I'd like to share what, some of what he said with some of my own applications put in. The beautiful thing about this, and I see that I almost missed something. Number four. Whoops. Sorry. Yikes, that's a new stand, isn't it? Okay. Um, The beautiful thing about this is that Ephesians says we're God's workmanship. Workmanship. So if you believe in the gospel, 
you have to behave like the gospel, right? If you believe in the gospel, you've got to behave like the gospel. It's not just what I believe, it's what I do. I don't want to disobey the gospel. I don't want to get racial reconciliation wrong. So um, here's what Jamar Tisby said. You could write down that name. You could look up his... Uh, you can look up his message. I highly recommend it. It was excellent. I just want to sketch his application points for us. Because I was having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago, and they said, but Niall, what would you tell the white church in the Northwoods about this? Like, what do we do? You know? Uh, yeah, I, I get that we're kind of monocultural here in the Northwoods. I understand that. But what can we do? Well, we can do things... Here's, here's some suggestions. A. A would be uh, awareness. I wish I, I didn't put awareness up there. I'm sorry. There it is. Oh, yeah, awareness. Awareness. Um, we ought to be aware of what people from other ethnic backgrounds are saying. Do you know what your Christian brothers and sisters say about these issues? Do you know how they think? about these issues. I've given you two websites. These are two of them that I use personally. I probably could have done more, but uh, I wanted to give you the ones that I read and that I, that I trust. Um, the, the RAA network stands for the Reformed African American Network. Excellent blogs. I don't think I agree with everything, but good stuff there. Really good stuff. And, and it's predominantly written by our African American brothers and sisters. Great. Take a look at it. I, I, I give that to you. Gospel Coalition has a broad range of writers on a broad range of issues, but they have some excellent stuff on racial reconciliation and diversity. That's a good one, too. Um, that's in my Facebook feed, so whenever they have a new thing come up, I read it, you know, and I see it. Uh, I highly recommend Gospel Coalition. Um, and they're connected to the Free Church as well, um, with uh, Trinity uh, uh, University, our school in Deerfield, Illinois. So there's some connections there. But awareness. I would say a few things to you about awareness. I would say this. Do you know that although slavery might be a thing of the past for this country, it doesn't mean that the the church has gotten this issue right. Are, Are you aware that in 1974, the African Methodist Episcopal Church was formed because of racism within the Methodist Church that didn't allow certain races to enter their churches? Or I could say in 1995, the Southern Baptist Convention issued a formal apology for their affirmation of slavery in 1845. The reason the Southern Baptist Convention was founded was because of a dispute over whether missionaries could own slaves. The Southern Baptist Convention said yes. 1995, they apologized for that. Or I could tell you some more personal stories instead of institutional stuff. I, could re- I read a blog by Grace Biskey. She grew up in Detroit, attended a suburban, very white church, a large Baptist church. In 1987, she wanted to be baptized. And they said, no, we won't baptize you because you're half black. This is 1987. Many of us were alive then. How does that statement from a church hit you if you wanted to be baptized and you were told no? Later that church did vote and and they changed that trajectory they were on and now they do allow 
baptisms and membership. Again, God still had his way there and worked that out, but I can't deny how hard that would be hearing if that was your church. I listened to the stories of pastors. Um, One pastor said, growing up in the South, when he was a child, he had a real fear that he might be in the wrong place at the wrong time and be accused of a crime he didn't commit and go to prison for it. That, that was just his fear. And whether you say that fear is unfounded or not, it's real for him. It was real when he was a kid. And we need to recognize that. I'll, I'll say it another way. Um, sometimes I hear people say, and I've thought this, I've thought this, so I need, I need to confess it myself, that why are African Americans so worried about police issues when there's so much quote-unquote black-on-black crime? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've thought that. But if you were on the other side of that, let's say you were a pastor in an inner city, how would you feel about someone making that statement to you? The pastors that I listened to said, oh yeah, we know there's a huge issue in the city and we're working on it. But where's the compassion for these other issues as well? We see that this is an issue, but we think this is an issue too. Why are you trying to? I'll put it like this. You know how last month there was that uh, terrible alligator attack on the child in Florida and the child perished? I don't know if you read the news articles online, but I read an article online. And then you look at the comments because I can't look away. Some of you can't look away either, right? And you read the comments and you got people saying the harshest things about the parenting skills of those two parents. Horrible things. If my child perished and people were writing things like that, it would just crush me even more. I'm just saying, we've got to have awareness on how the other side feels and have compassion. We've got to have compassion. Because it won't do me any good to hear a pastor say, I was scared growing up, and for me to say, well, you know, perfect love casts out fear. You're all good. You know? And you wouldn't like that if that was done to you. If you lost a child and I came up to you with some sort of Bible verse to try to make it all better, you'd be more hurting than when you left. You probably might want to punch me. If, if, I, if I just tried to trivialize it and brush it away. Let's not do that. Because it makes us sound like we don't have a lot of compassion and maybe we don't have enough. Awareness. Do you know how the other side feels? I think it's important that we understand. Uh, That's the A, awareness. The R is uh, relationships. Relationships. Will you build relationships as the Lord provides with someone of a different ethnic background? Native American. And the rest. Would you build that relationship if God provides it? Um, I think it's awesome that, you know, I went to Uganda and and I built that relationship with Pastor Daniel. I just thought he was taking care of us in country and somehow that blossomed into a friendship where we email back and forth. I remember he called me on the the eve of the New New Year's Eve this year and we kind of talked about hopes and dreams for the future. You know, and it's just like, what what did I do to deserve this friendship with this man in Uganda? How, How did that happen? Well, God just gave the opportunity and I was just able to walk into a friendship and do what friends do, talk, 
invite to my house, open my home up. I'm really hoping, we've been talking about this, the next time he comes in country, he's got to travel a lot. He may bring his kids and leave his kids with us and let the kids experience the Northwoods. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just his kids here for two or three weeks, you know? Um, His kids have never been to America, and it's like I would have the privilege of introducing them to this. That's awesome. Um, Would you walk into a friendship if the Lord opens that door? I know it might be hard because I know the culture of the Northwoods is not diverse. But if the Lord did something, would you be quick to walk into that? Relationships are important. Uh, And lastly, uh, C is a commitment. This one is really a big deal because what you're saying when you say I'm committed, you're saying I will actually do things to promote racial reconciliation. It's not just that I know the gospel and amen the gospel and I'm so glad Pastor talked about the gospel today. Like, that's all good. That's awesome. I read one blogger that said, uh, it's not enough to know racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. You must take action. Remember what Paul did to Peter? I'm not saying that's our standard for all the ways we talk to people, but Peter was a major leader in the church and Paul had to call him out when he separated himself from other ethnic background people. We gotta, we gotta do something. We gotta put feet to our faith. Um, here's some that I thought about that may be helpful. Um, th- these are my own. Take them as you will. Leave them as you will. Just some ideas on application of what we could do. Number one, uh, we could partner with a multi-ethnic church, and we do. Pastor Enoch coming in town. Um, th- these are the kind of things we could look for more opportunities to partner with churches that are racially diverse to support them and then to support us, for us to grow and them to grow because we're in relationship together. Let's just look for those opportunities as a church. Number two, we could support a ministry to Native Americans. I mean, that's kind of our culture right here. And if you know, enough, if you know the stories of how Native Americans have felt betrayed by Christians, it's hard and it's ugly. Maybe we could start to turn that around. I, I'm friends with a couple that have dedicated their lives to trying to repair the relationship between Native Americans and the church. It's a beautiful calling. Number three, we could gently speak up when someone makes a racist comment. I don't, I'm not saying you have to go full-on Apostle Paul on them, okay? You know, you're disobeying the gospel. Ah, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, Peter was a major leader in the church and he had it coming. That's all i got to say about that. You know, our people that we talk to, you, you need to take a gentle tone, but it needs to be bold and courageous and say, I don't laugh at those jokes because they're not funny, they're painful, they're hurtful. You can speak up. Number four, we could celebrate cultural differences instead of trying to be, quote-unquote, colorblind. I grew up believing that colorblind was the way to go I don't see your color. You don't see my color, right? Really? Well, whose eyes are you looking through then if you don't see someone's color? You know, I mean, practically speaking, that is impossible. But, on the other hand, wouldn't it be better for us to celebrate someone's culture and to say, you bring some awesome things to the table in the way you look at life, the way you do life. I'd like to have more of that in my life. Wouldn't that be the way to be? 
By the way, just so you know, the whole colorblind thing, that, that phrase has really fallen out of use it's, it, you know, because of the fact that it kind of just ignores our differences when we ought to be celebrating our differences. Hopefully that made sense. Hopefully that was educational for some of you. Because I grew up, you know, didn't Michael W. Smith have a song called Colorblind? I think he did. Um, it'd be so fine to be colorblind. Anyway, um, number five. Uh, we could gently speak up when someone speaks out of ignorance. Now here I'm lightening a little bit because racism, racist comments, like you know it when you hear it, boom, you know, that's not right. You could speak up when someone is just speaking out of ignorance. Like, I know you're saying that, I know what you mean, but have you considered how the other side feels? Maybe take a look at this website that helped me understand it better. That would be good. We could gently speak up when someone speaks out of ignorance. I could go on. I'm going to leave those five with you. You ought to be thinking about others on your own. But I'm just saying, as a church, we want to make this a, we want to make this a priority to us. Even if we're in the Northwoods, this is something we care about because the body of Christ is hurting over these things these days. And I want to leave you. We're five minutes over. Thank you for giving me the time and not uh, abandoning ship. That would have made me nervous, especially after I'm knocking things over and all sorts of stuff's happening. Um, would you look at Revelation 5 with me? I'd love to show you the exact moment when shalom happens. You know, the shalom that we're longing for, the peace that Christ has purchased, when it becomes full reality, it's Revelation 5, verse 9. This is it. This is where the gospel's leading us to. This is the one new man. It's right here, Revelation 5, verse 9. The people in heaven are worshiping and they sang a new song and they said, you're worthy, that's Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation and you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And at that moment, everyone's going to realize, they're going to look around and you're going to see people from every ethnic background and you're all worshiping Christ, and you're going to say, Shalom. Would you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, our hearts cry out for Shalom. We want that. We want that in our relationships with people. Even in this church, we want Shalom. We want Shalom with people of other races. And now we see that we, the church, are empowered by the gospel to do that very thing. We should be the best at this, God. So would you make your church the best at it? Would we be a people committed to reconciliation? Committed to hearing out the other perspectives? Listening to fears? Listening to hurts? Listening to ways the church has got it wrong? And so, Lord, I will be the first to say... I am sorry. I confess that leaders in the church have often blown it. And they've hurt people. As we've looked at this morning by denying them baptism. How can the church be that way? Lord, we have more places to go. We have further work to do. Lord, I pray Your protection on our police officers.
I pray they would feel encouraged because they are your servants. And where will we be without them? So would you encourage them and would you grant safety to them? Their job is essential. And then would you, would you do in the church a mighty work that we would do the essential work of promoting healthy race relationships? That we would speak up when it's time to speak up with gentleness, with grace and truth. Not in an obnoxious way, but in a beautiful, Christ-exalting way. Lord, we thank You for this country that's made up of many different people groups. We love that we're going to be able to spend eternity with people that don't look like us. And yet in eternity, we're going we're to be able to do relationships and friendships with them forever. We love that. So bring us shalom and bring our country shalom. We pray in the name of the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. Amen. The Lord bless you. Benevolence offering at the door. That's going for needs in the community. Thank you.